Welcome back to Night School, episode 21, uh, Song of Myself, episode 19. And back with me is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Wes Chance. Welcome back, Wes. Hey, good to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, go on. No, I was just saying thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure to have you back. And it looks like we're almost through this gargantuan poem, this monstrosity that we decided to tackle. And what can I say? Uh, being a, on this end of the hill feels pretty good to be closing in on something uh, after almost 20 episodes on this, on this poem at this point. Right. Uh, ten, 10 times as long as we spent on um, the Raven or almost, right? So uh, a hugely important poem, maybe not as well known as the Raven, um, but I think a, a fitting counterpart to it. And when we do uh, finish this one, I, I think there's, a couple directions we could go. We could do uh, do some stuff for Christmas season. Um, I know that was one idea we had, and maybe take a little break from these big projects. Um, and, but yeah, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and at the very least, the uh, listeners should know we're going to keep putting out plenty of American stuff, and we're going to stick with poetry for now. Uh, our our original idea was Dickinson and maybe some Frost. Though mm-hmm. I know you have some ideas on Frost. And um, then maybe move into novels when it comes closer to the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, bigger things like Huck Finn, Moby Dick, Great Gatsby. Um, and maybe see what we can do picking those apart. But, well, we're on to 48 out of 52 today. And, well, I've got the evens, you've got the odds. Shall I begin? For sure. I have said that the soul is not more than the body. And I've said that the body is not more than the soul. Nothing, not God, is greater to one than one's self is. And whoever walks a furlong without sympathy walks to his own funeral dressed in his shroud. And I, or you, pocketless of a dime, may purchase the pick of the earth. To glance with an eye or show a being in its pod confounds the learning of all times. There is no trade or employment, but the young man following it may become a hero. And there is no object so soft, but it makes a hub for the wheeled universe. And I say to any man or woman, let your soul stand cool and compose before a million universes. And I say to mankind, be not curious about God. For I who am curious about each am not curious about God. No ray of terms can say how much I am at peace about God and about death. I hear and behold God in every object, yet understand God not in the least. Nor do I understand who there can be more wonderful than myself. Why should I wish to see God better than this day? I see something of God each hour of the 24 and each moment then. In the faces of the men and women, I see God. And in my own face, in the glass, I find letters from God dropped in the street. And everyone is signed by God's name. And I leave them where they are. For I know that wheresoever I go, others will punctually come forever and ever. Fantastic. 
I really like that. I find letters from God dropped in the street. Um, that reminds me uh, early in Ulysses by James Joyce. There's a passage close to that really famous one about um, history is a nightmare from which I'm trying to awake. Uh, there's another little aphoris, uh, aphoristic statement that um, Stephen Daedalus makes where he says, uh, God is a shout in the street. Um, I, I always love that line. Um, and I think there's a kind of, a kind of um, similar sentiment going on here. Uh, although in, in Stephen's case, he's uh, rather tortured or that's how he's portrayed. Whereas Whitman is of course portraying himself as very uh, cool and collected. Um, but the, the kind of wonder uh, at the everyday in, in that sense, I think they're, they're rather similar. Um, but to, to go back to the start of this, um, he, he, he starts with these kind of antitheses, right? Um, the soul is not more than the body. The body's not more than the soul. And nothing, not God, greater to one than oneself is. And then I think the interesting thing about that uh, third line and fourth line is that they're also balanced, right? Um, line, the line, each line is balanced within itself, and, and, but they're also balanced between each other. So, so that the, um, the balance to one's sense of greatness uh, and its equivalence or, or sort of parity with um, God or nothingness or whichever you kind of take your pick, um, the parity there is sympathy, right? So that sympathy towards others, the sense of their greatness is just as important. And so there's a kind of radical um, democracy, I guess is the word for it there. It's not exactly humility. It's not exactly pride, um, but a kind of uh, assurance, right? And confidence. Um, he talks about it later with that, that line about let your soul stand cool and composed before a million universes, right? So um, everything that you do, right? So you can become a hero at it. Um, that's uh, a really interesting thing to think about given our, our uh, interest in uh, video games and, and heroic myths and how they're portrayed, right? Um, he hasn't made this a, a hero's journey or, or anything like that. Um, and yet in a way, he's rewritten that, that myth of um, sort of self and world, how they interact. Uh, and he's cracked it open so that, you know, every kind of trade or employment is, is fine to, to uh, speak of in heroic terms. Um, I, I really like that too, um, the bean in its pod. Um, that one makes me think of uh, the fairy tale uh, Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Like this, again, this very common thing, the bean um, is magical and it, it leads you up to the giant's castle where you have your heroic journey. Um, and uh, the, uh, the sentiment there um, reminds me of William Blake, right? The uh, eternity in a moment, uh, infinity in a grain of sand or however that goes. Yeah. So then the, the second half of this, though, is all about God, right? It's very insistent, uh, anaphora here, carrying that word God through every line, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's a very interesting theology that he lays out here um, in that he's, he's advocating for uh, not indifference exactly, but in curiosity, like not worrying about, not fretting about God. And he makes the argument basically that 
there's enough to be interested in uh, and to sort of manifestly inquire into, which, um, you know, takes the place of sort of abstract uh, metaphysical speculation about God or, or even worse, right, re religious um, strife and things like that. And this, this is a huge, I think a huge thread in the American experiment is what we've done, what the founders did and what people since then have done with respect to the role of the church and the state and how those two things are supposed to be balanced or um, sort of interact and how each individual is supposed to sort of move between those spheres. Um, Whitman here is clearly coming down on the side of, uh, yeah, let God have his sort of space and let it be uh, something that is not going to oppose, impose itself on me <laughs> and let me kind of do, um, do my democratic thing here where I, you know, see God in, in what I see God in. And it's, uh, it's in the street and it's everyone. Um, and it's, uh, it's ever sort of renewing out there. I, I find this a, a wonderful part, part 48. Yeah, and it just it also makes me think of, and I was just looking at my copy of Plato here at the Phaedrus, where, you know, Socrates says, um, because here Whitman continues to uh, maintain the theme of identifying a human or the self or himself with a divine being, with God, right? And here it's the Christian God. And so you have sort of like the ultimate democratization of the divine, right? Any, any particular person that is being at this moment can be the, a, a hero. And if you take Jordan Peterson's view that Christ is the figure of the ultimate hero, then any particular person who picks up his or her cross can walk the path of Christ, can in just adopting responsibility for one's role in existence um, uh, be, be just as divine as any other being which has ever existed itself. And so you even see the word God it capitalized in, as it often is when it refers to the Christian God here sort of democratizing that it's used so often, right? And that an aphoristic way you said, God, 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 uh, God, God. I think, I think I see it here like, 10 times in this line may, or in this part, maybe 11. And I'm, I should actually share the screen so that uh, YouTube people can see. There we go. But I see it in the third line, I see it in this second stanza, all three of the lines, four and five and six and the next stanza, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Uh, so it's everywhere. Um, and again, like you were saying, like Socrates says in the Phaedrus, um, he doesn't need to be, you don't, in order to understand God and how, and also how wonderful you yourself are, as he talks about in the third stanza here, nor do I understand who there can be more wonderful than myself. And saying that you shouldn't just try to understand the abstract, the abstract concept of God. He's saying, if you study what you are and what you do in the world, whatever that happens to be, that will be the best way you can possibly study that which is called God seems to be the point he's making. And um, well, that's really interesting because it makes me think that the sort of Christian idea of communion of, uh, you know, where two or three people are present, that there is my name or there I am, is the idea of 
uh, expressing information derived from one's own personal experience is the most valuable thing that you can do with someone else. The most valuable and fairest trade. And that seems yeah. to be what he's doing here, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, he is throwing the name of God around and uh, he is seeing him in, in every person. Um, and I think, you know, partly this is probably meant to be provocative for people who are more orthodox or um, sort of traditional in their beliefs, probably uh, meant to rile them up a bit. And uh, on the other hand, um, it seems clear that he's not simply uh, making a bid for atheism either, right? That uh, that that's not his, um, he doesn't have a dog in that fight or whatever. So uh, he's, I think, uh, carving out a kind of space for his um, temperament and and his his project here um, by pushing on the one hand pushing back against religious uh, orthodoxy but on the other hand incorporating a great deal of what he's learned I mean he's clearly very versed in classical and and uh, Christian thought so all right Shall all right we go on? The next one here, 49? Yes. Cool. And as to you, death, and you bitter hug of mortality, it is idle to try to alarm me. To his work without flinching, the accoucher comes. I see the elder hand pressing, receiving, supporting. I recline by the sills of the exquisite flexible doors and mark the outlet and mark the relief and escape. And as to you, corpse, I think you are a good manure, but that does not offend me. I smell the white roses, sweet-scented and growing. I reach to the leafy lips, I reach to the polished breasts of melons. And as to you, life, I reckon you are the leavings of many deaths. No doubt I have died myself 10,000 times before. I hear you whispering there, O stars of heaven, O suns. O oh, grass of graves, O oh, perpetual transfers and promotions. If you do not say anything, how can I say anything? Of the turbid pool that lies in the autumn forest, of the moon that descends the steeps of the sowing twilight, toss sparkles of day and dusk, toss on the black stems that decay in the muck, toss to the moaning gibberish of the dry limbs. I ascend from the moon, I ascend from the night. I perceive that the ghastly glimmer is noonday sunbeams reflected and debouche to the steady and central from the offspring, great or small. Well, this is a very interesting part because I would say it's sort of a casual tour de force of his abilities. He goes all the way from the, the grass on the ground to going above the moon, from the super mundane to the super celestial or the super orbital. And also, uh, I noticed these O's stuck right in the middle, that without that H, that sort of biblical O, that vocative uh, in the English or Latin, uh, O stars of heaven, O suns, that sort of uh, prayer-like, um, uh, anaphoristic um, format that's taken there. Also, we, we have him directly engage with the concept of death, another concept of corpse, which highly linked to death, I would imagine. And um, life as well. Very interesting that he speaks to life after death because 
we all know that famous quote, uh, oh, now death, you are defeated. I think that's a Pauline quote, right? Um, or, or somewhere around there. And um, just sort of interesting about him talking about death here is that it, it, it's interesting because it, uh, I see sort of an intuitive connection between him identifying with God and then immediately feeling the anxiety of his mortality sort of bitterly hug at him, right? Like he says here. But in from sort of his Christian or Dionysian or sort of Hindu, I've been born and died 10,000 times sort of perspective, um, he understands sort of, he understands that you come to be, you pass away, you come to be, you pass away, and you are part of the super being, which is humanity as an individual embodiment of it in that particular moment. And so he seems to recognize that his immortality exists as part of a cycle, sort of like the leaves on a tree, like Homer says, or has Glaucus say in the Iliad, book six, as well as Apollo say in book 21, during the Theomachy, that, um, that it is not that he will not die, it is that he is like the dying and resurrecting God, Dionysus, Adon Adonis, Christ, um, and, and that he is going to observe and sort of uh, catalog all that is while he, while he is. I don't know, as sort of a handbook for, for being or a handbook for what to experience or how to perceive that which exists. That's, That's kind of where, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The handbook idea makes me think of, um, you know, sort of stoicism is having a kind of moment these days, but, um, but what he's doing here is not like that. It, it's not quite like the Epictetus uh, handbook that sort of says, uh, you know, stand back from experience, uh, don't, don't enter into it, you can control your reactions no matter what happens. Um, there, there's a sort of a bit of that, I guess, but really it's more about like Whitman is saying like, you enter in so much so that no matter what happens, you're fine, you know? It's kind of the, the inverse. Um, and uh, yeah, I like, I like the descript, the kind of connection back to uh, mythic um, death rebirth uh, cycles and, and the, uh, the Dionysiac element to that as well. Um, his, his use of, here's a kind of mundane thing, but I thought strange. Uh, his use of commas here is quite uh, unconventional. Yes, um, pressing, receiving, supporting. I was looking yeah, at that one. That one listing those those actions. Um, he elides them, and he also elides them on the vocatives that you you noted. He says, "You death, not you death." You see what I mean? There's no comma between you and death, or you and corpse, or you and life. Um, and so it sort of has the effect of connecting you and each of those things more closely or sort of running them together a bit. And, uh, and the pace seems important here, right? That you in one, from one line to the next, you go from corpse being good manure uh, to the white roses that grow from it. And uh, the polished breasts of melons, that's a bit of a tongue twister. I kind of slipped on that one, but it's, that's quite the image. Um, it's uh, aromatic and uh, sensual and, you can sort of uh, just feel that when you when you uh, 
uh, reading that um, he he does to you what he's kind of arguing that you should do, right? He he immerses you in that experience. Uh, he's speaking to you as all of these things, and he's making you into everything from yeah, depth death in the corpse to the, uh, the stars, suns, grass of graves. Um, yeah, I feel like the leaves of grass are always also the, the grass of graves, right? He, uh, he had paired in that previous one in 48, he mentions he's at peace about God and about death. And so again, those, those are sort of paired as nothing, including God was, was mentioned in like the second or third line of that one. So, so death is like the, the flip side of everything here. And, um, and he's, he's kind of engaging directly with it. Uh, I, I think in a pretty compelling way. Yeah, and I, I do like that you mentioned how descriptive his language is and how evocative of experience it is. The turbid pools, the pool that lies in the autumn forest. Um, it's very Faulknerian uh, in, in a way that I, I just am taken to an autumn, to an, a forest in autumn with the trees changed colors and a certain sort of chill in the air and looking at a pool and how different and yet eternal that feeling is. And, the, the sort of soughing twilight, sort of a rising twilight, that time of day, uh, and looking at the steeps, like sort of, sort of the, the shadows that are around, and, you know, morning gibberish of dry limbs, if you've ever gone camping, uh, sort of those, uh, how trees sound in the morning, groaning and such, and maybe you live around a lot of trees, I live in San Diego, so I don't, um, but uh, when I said a handbook, I meant it more like the Explorer Scout, Boy Scout handbook, not, not in terms of sort of a, a series of maxims that moralize, but more like a picture book, one that uh, gives you things that you could look at up for along the way. Uh, sort of like what a strategy guide, uh, to some extent does. Uh, <laughs> uh -huh. well, but only half of what it does in... Um, in, uh, for a video game, because this isn't actually necessarily giving you strategy, right, or advice. It's just saying these things are part of the experience of being, and thus, and thus, uh, each deserves ma manifestation in its own right. Um, and it's sort of like these are things you could look for in life, um, and that you might not notice, like a pool and a forest or something like that. Uh, which is kind of making me want to go on a hike after this, but. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's a spooky forest. I mean, uh, the, t the moaning gibberish of the dry limbs, that's a, so it's the tree limbs, right? But it's also, you know, the dead, the decaying corpses uh, down there in the muck. Um, that's, strong. that's strong because I think what we're zeroing in on is that as we get to the end of this poem, we get to the considerations of the end of life. And it would make sense that not only would we get explicit, explicit mention of death and corpse, but also uh, the imagery of death, of the moaning gibberish of dry, thus dead limbs. You're right. With the word decay and the word twilight and the word autumn before each of those. I think that's very strong. Um, and not to mention the fact that the time does seem to be moon, night, autumn, late times steeped uh at the old times of the year just as this is a late part of the poem just as this is representative of the late parts of life right right
and but the final stanza he he ascends he ascends he perceives that ghastly glimmer is noonday sunbeams reflected right so it's like he can see in the midst of all of the the decay the decline um the spookiness he also sees kind of the full uh, brilliance that that is the other side of it or that's sort of behind it um and and in so doing he debouches what i i think that's sort of like a water image it's like what a, a stream does um from the offspring great or small he, he goes into the steady and central so it's this uh kind of gathering um towards the towards the ocean again or, or towards the the uh, reservoir maybe that's so interesting because that's so dantistic because mm -hmm. when dante ascends to the paradiso he ascends above the sphere of the earth and will eventually in canto 26 look back down onto onto the earth and see as a scar the the travels the journey of ulysses of odysseus and sort of it, part of what this symbol means is very rich is that uh, Dante's, Dante's journey has gone beyond the sphere of the earth. It, it, he, has, he has taken that which was sort of specific and made it abstract, that he's transcended that which Ulysses has done in some way. And then here we get the same sort of imagery, also very close to the end of his great poem, I Ascend from the Moon. And of course, Dante does ascend from the moon. That's the first sphere of paradise. I send from the night, he comes to understand, right? He now sees from a new perspective. It's as if his perspective is converting or inverting now, just as Dante's did as he went up slash down uh, Satan uh, in Canto 34 of the, uh, the Inferno, right? Because since Satan is wedged between two hemispheres, as you go up him, then you start to go down him as you get into the next hemisphere. <laughs> and, uh, so it is almost as if, yeah, even though the night is coming, his perspective is now becoming more enlightened. Yeah. All right. Should we do the last three for next time? That sounds good. They seem fairly short. If, if we can manage to get through all three, sometimes the short ones give us the, uh, the most, they give us the most food for thought at times. Maybe because we focus harder. I don't know. Or maybe there's just more there somehow, some way. Yeah, well, I'm I'm very curious to see. You mentioned Dante, and I know his final image is sort of the, the celestial circles, right? You can't really it's sort of ineffable. Uh, I'm curious to see what Whitman's final image will be. I know there's a very famous image in there um, that we're coming up to, but uh, I don't know quite where he winds up at at the end of this. So, looking forward to reading it. I can't wait because just looking down at what we're going to be starting with tomorrow, I can already see some connections to Dante that I'll be, uh, I'll be making. Uh, right. So, well, you know, keep listening, listeners. And, uh, well, Mr. Wesley Chance, uh, another good day's work, and I'm looking forward to uh, recurrent events with you. Okay. Till then.